In Puerto Rico, violent militants murder a policeman, then turn their guns on a busload of unarmed Navy workers and open fire on American sailors in the street. These ruthless killers have vowed to fight to the death. And the FBI must use every tactic at their disposal to track down the terrorists and end this rebellion in paradise. extremists waged a guerrilla war against the United States. Their goal to make the island an independent nation or die trying. I'm Jim Kallstrom, former head of the FBI's New York office. In 1983, the investigation became personal for agents when terrorists attacked their offices in San Juan. For the FBI, catching the perpetrators would depend on skill, patience, and turning a handful of small clues into one big break. The Caribbean island of Puerto Rico is home to three million American citizens and a handful of anti-American terrorists. On August 24, 1978, two Puerto Rican patrolmen encounter what appears to be a stranded couple. They stop to help. Suddenly, three heavily armed men rush them. One patrolman tries to draw his gun, but he's immediately shot and killed. The other patrolman surrenders. The attackers force him into the woods and order him to remove his uniform. Then bind him to a tree with his own handcuffs. Back at the road, the couple attempts to disguise the patrol car so they can drive it to a hiding place. But before they can finish, headlights approach. The man holds up the dead officer's badge. He tells the men in the car to move along. It's a police matter. But the men in the car identify themselves as undercover cops and offer to help. The man urges them to leave. Instead, they grow suspicious. At a safe distance, the cops pull off and radio for backup. They arm themselves and head back to take on their attackers. But when the cops arrive, they see no one. Wary of an ambush, they secure the crime scene. After searching the area, they rescue the handcuffed patrolman and find his partner's body. Five days later, a previously unknown terror group claims credit for the assault. 
Since the attack was claimed by a terrorist organization, the investigation falls under the jurisdiction of the FBI at the federal building in San Juan. Agents study the group's letter to the media, which includes diagrams allegedly showing what occurred. The group claims the patrolman overreacted, forcing them to kill him in self-defense. FBI Special Agent Rick Hahn. We thought it was very odd that they claimed credit for this incident, particularly since a police officer was killed. But the uh, communique was detailed and, in fact, included a graphic drawing of uh, the events as they claimed that they had occurred. And I think that they felt like they had to justify the fact that the officer had been killed. This new terror group calls themselves the People's Puerto Rican Army, or EPB in Spanish. Their stated goal is to turn the U.S. Commonwealth into an independent communist country which is contrary to what the vast majority of Puerto Ricans want. Those who wanted total independence were less than 5% of the island. So the representative uh, numbers amongst the population uh, that are in, in sync with the terrorists is a very small handful of people. The letterhead includes the group's nickname, Machiteros. Machiteros actually comes from uh, the machete workers, the, the uh, blue-collar people, basically, of the island, uh, who they're claiming to represent. I think that they chose that name primarily to identify themselves with the unskilled laborers, the workers of Puerto Rico, the native people who would have been subjugated into things like chopping sugarcane. Agent Hahn reviews the evidence so far. Police recovered empty 9-millimeter shells, but no useful fingerprints or fibers. Sketches of the suspects proved to be too general to be of much use. With no real leads to go on, the FBI decides to watch several militants who preach violence, hoping they will lead them to the Macheteros. The police take a different approach, encouraging informants to infiltrate militant groups. Well, the police of Puerto Rico, having lost one of their own, are extremely uh, focused on trying to resolve this. And they are recruiting young people and putting them into what they consider to be uh, radical organizations on college campuses to try and ferret out who may be part of the Mach Terrors. Two months pass as the FBI and police continue to search for leads. Then, in October 1979, the Macheteros strike again at the U.S. Customs Building in San Juan. A high-powered bomb explodes. Fortunately, no one is injured. The symbolism of the Custom House is that it uh, represents the U.S. government's presence there in Puerto Rico. Everything that uh, comes imported into the island comes through the Customs House. In a letter to the media, the Macheteros take credit in response, the FBI and police intensify their efforts. A month and a half later, at the Sabana Seca Navy base near San Juan, 18 unarmed Navy personnel ride a bus on a routine trip to work. A vehicle stops ahead, blocking their path. A van pulls out and begins firing on the bus with automatic weapons. They fired right along the black band on a typical school bus, which is right about, about where the floor level is, so that uh, even individuals that would be hiding on the floor to try and uh, get cover 
would have taken rounds through the side of the bus. The attack kills two people and wounds nine. Agent Hahn coordinates the investigation. This attack was so audacious and so brutal that it clearly upped the ante in terms of uh, what the terrorists were willing to do to the government personnel on the island. This was the first out-and-out -out planned homicide, and that's clearly what this was. So it clearly upped the ante. Agents collect shell casings. They run the VIN number on the abandoned vehicle and find that it was stolen months earlier. They also check for fingerprints and fibers, but find none. The attackers have left no clues. The media receives a letter from the Machiteros proudly claiming credit. At the FBI lab in San Juan, technicians study the shell casings from the Navy bus shooting. They determined that the majority came from a 45 caliber Thompson submachine gun. The others came from a 223 caliber rifle. Technicians compare the unique markings on the shells to those used in other crimes, but can't find a match. Once again, agents have no real leads. Determined to track down the Macheteros, the FBI brings in dozens of additional agents from the mainland. The additional manpower makes it possible to put intense surveillance on militants believed to be linked to the Macheteros. It's only by watching them, watching their activities, and determining exactly what they're up to on a daily basis that we're going to be able to ferret out who's really a terrorist and who's somebody that's just talking. While the FBI tries to find the Macheteros, the Macheteros have already begun targeting the FBI. In Puerto Rico, a terror group known as the Macheteros murder a policeman and attack a bus full of unarmed Navy workers, killing two and wounding nine. With no real leads, the FBI takes a different approach. They decide to follow the money and try to determine how the terrorists get their funding. They spot a potential lead. A recent wave of armored car robberies the highly organized robbers carry high-powered weapons, grab the money, and flee. The robbers leave behind no evidence. FBI Special Agent Fernando Candelario. Abandoned vehicles that were recovered, we would trace to a name which turned out to be a fictitious name, and then it, it just got to a dead end. Agents suspect that the Macheteros committed the robberies but the crimes themselves provide no new leads. Months later, the Macheteros send a letter to the media claiming credit for a single $300,000 heist, though the FBI suspects they have committed many more. Through informants, the FBI begins hearing rumors that the Macheteros are led by a major Puerto Rican terrorist, Filiberto Ojeda. During the 1960s, Ojeda trained in Cuba as a communist agent. He returned to Puerto Rico and was arrested in 1970 for bombing tourist hotels. But he jumped bail and went into hiding. The FBI has been looking for him for the past 10 years. FBI Special Agent Rick Hahn. 
he was the sort of individual who we thought was very capable of putting together an organization like the Macheteros. If Ojeda leads the Macheteros, it helps explain their deadly discipline. The FBI increases its surveillance of militants suspected of having contact with Ojeda. Eight months later, while en route to a surveillance assignment, Agent Candelario hears on the radio that jet fighters have exploded at the Puerto Rican Air National Guard base. He heads straight for the base and is shocked by what he sees. It looked like a war zone. Some of the agents that were Vietnam veterans uh, were telling me how this reminded them of a, of a combat zone. The explosions destroyed nine fighter jets and disabled two more. The damage is estimated at $45 million. Miraculously, no one was injured in the attack. Agents search the airbase for evidence. They find a machete painted with the letters EPB, an abbreviation of the formal name of the Macheteros. Agents believe the group left it behind as a calling card to taunt the FBI. Investigators determined that pipe bombs were placed in the jet's air intakes, exhaust pipes, and landing gear. They study pieces of the bombs, but gain no new leads. We interviewed every member of the Air National Guard to determine if this was an inside job. But the investigators conclude that no one from the base was aiding the Macheteros. For agents, it is another dead end. For many, many years, we've just collected a lot of evidence on the Macheteros, but we could not penetrate that organization. Days later, sailors from the USS Pensacola take in the tourist attractions of San Juan, just as they're about to cross a bridge. Bullets rip through all four sailors. One is killed and three seriously injured. In a phone call to a radio station, the Macheteros take credit. When I arrived to the scene, uh, the young soldier or sailor was still uh, laying there. My first reaction is, you know, is thinking about the parents of that young sailor. He's here in Puerto Rico, he's unarmed, has nothing to do with the political situation in Puerto Rico, but he's a U.S. military, and that's the targets that the Macheteros selected. Um, and it was just a tragic situation. At the FBI lab, a technician examines the unique ejector marks on the empty shelves. It was determined that the weapon that was used was the 45 caliber uh, machine gun that was used in Sabana Seca. Agents have connected the weapon to at least two attacks, but are no closer to identifying members of the Macheteros. Devil's Night, the evening before Halloween. At 7.45 p.m., an event occurs that forever changes the FBI's attitude toward the Macheteros. A huge explosion rocks the FBI's office. FBI Special Agent Jose Rodriguez. The explosion was so loud that they suspected that it was a bomb inside the building. Because I, I was a bomb technician, I was one of the first people called. Surveying the scene, Agent Rodriguez notices that the window glass has been blown in, not out. 
That means that the explosion must have happened outside. He searches near the building for evidence. I started looking around, and I was able to find the uh, rocket motor cover with the fins intact in the back parking lot. He recognizes the object as part of an American law rocket, short for light anti-tank weapon. Agent Rodriguez discovers that the serial number is still intact, so the rocket should be traceable. A law rocket has a range of only 350 meters, so it must have been fired nearby. Agents interview everyone in the surrounding area and locate one woman who says she saw the attackers. This lady said that this guy came into her yard. She came out the door. He told her to get back inside. He puts the law rocket on his shoulder and fires the law rocket at the building. The witness says the man fled in an SUV, which was followed by a car. She describes both vehicles, and agents begin searching the surrounding neighborhoods. The FBI quickly finds the two suspect vehicles nearby. People that lived in the neighborhood told us that they had seen people come dump the vehicle. One of them, the person actually gotten out of the vehicle and wiped the door, like he was trying to remove evidence of fingerprints from the door of the vehicle, which made it a very highly suspect vehicle. Anybody else? FBI Special Agent Marlene Hunter. We started interviewing the people to get descriptions of the individuals that left the vehicle and just ensure that the vehicle was preserved until the agents could start processing it for evidence. While interviewing witnesses, agents learn from the media that the Macheteros have claimed responsibility. We took it extremely personal, extremely personal, because it was the first time that the Macheteros had attacked the FBI specifically, and we wanted to uh, solve that case. We wanted to charge the Macheteros. To do that, agents must find a way to penetrate their secretive world. The Puerto Rican terrorist organization known as the Macheteros has brought their fight to the FBI's doorstep with a rocket attack on their office in San Juan. Now agents work around the clock to follow up leads. The FBI asks the U.S. Army to run a trace on the rocket's serial number, according to FBI Special Agent Jose Rodriguez. In other words, where did it come from? How did the Macheteros get a law an American-made law rocket? The military did an outstanding job in tracing it. However, it was told to us that they suspected that some of that lot of law rockets had been left in Vietnam once the Americans had pulled out. And in tracing that, also we found that a ship had carried a large load of uh, American-made weapons from North Vietnam to Cuba at one time, and we suspected possibly that rocket had have gone to Cuba, and then the Macheteros had obtained it from there. In the FBI garage, agents processed the two vehicles believed used in the rocket attack. The vehicle identification and license plate numbers lead nowhere, and there are no obvious fingerprints. Agents look for evidence lost in crevices or fingerprints left while doing repairs. 
FBI Special Agent Fernando Candelario. We decided that we're going to do this, and we're, we're going to make sure that uh, we get any piece of evidence that we can off that vehicle. Under a door paneling, agents find a single fingerprint. It's clear. Yeah. It's a good FBI one. FBI Special Agent Marlene Hunter. The fact that you were able to lift a print off of the getaway vehicle was very exciting. It was a great break. The FBI matches the fingerprint to known radical Abelino Gonzalez. The fingerprint alone isn't enough to convict him. The FBI considers watching him, but fears it will be a waste of manpower since they suspect he will remain low key in the wake of the attack. So you have to have a team of approximately six people, at least in six different cars, to be effective. And it eats up your resources. So one of the particular investigative techniques that was being discussed a lot was wiretap, uh, electronic surveillance. Uh, but where do we go? Do we, do we wiretap Valino? Do we look for a better subject? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. In the garage, agents begin taking apart the SUV, which they believe was used to transport the anti-tank rocket. Deep in a pocket in the driver's door, one agent makes a critical discovery because it is so humid in Puerto Rico. If you leave paper documents, they'll become sticky and they stick to everything. In this final pocket, we found the corner of a traffic citation. The torn bit of traffic ticket includes the entire ticket ID number. That was a very nice uh, stroke of luck that the portion with the number on it was preserved. At Puerto Rico's Department of Motor Vehicles, Agent Candelario tracks down the number. He discovers that the original ticket was issued to Pedro Ramirez Cesar Almodovar for an expired inspection sticker. He writes down Almodovar's home address and gets a copy of the original license photo. Agent Candelario has spent hours watching Machetero suspects, but he doesn't recognize the man. The photo could break the case wide open, or it could be yet another dead end. At the FBI office in San Juan, agents hunt for official records on Pedro Almodovar. We searched everything associated with the name birth records. Uh, we searched tax records. Agents find one record with the same name and birth date. It was a dead baby's birth certificate that was used to get this identification. So we knew this person didn't exist uh, as an adult anyway. When the name proves false, agents concentrate on the photo. That photo was copied probably a thousand times, uh, sent everywhere to see if somebody could identify that person. But agents can't find anyone who recognizes the man. Agent Rodriguez goes to the address on Almodovar's driver's license. One address leads to another, where a woman with a Cuban accent answers the door. She insists she doesn't know anyone named Pedro Almodovar. And I took the picture out of my pocket and placed it in front of her face and said, do you know this individual? And it was as if she'd seen a ghost. She almost fell back when she saw the picture and immediately said, no, no, I don't know that individual. Agents are confident she isn't telling the truth. I knew that she knew who that person was. Back at the FBI office, 
investigators run the woman's name through a database of possible terrorist supporters. In a major breakthrough, the computer indicates she's related by marriage to the family of Filiberto Ojeda, the suspected leader of the Macheteros. Agents now believe that the man in the photo is actually Ojeda. We compared the photographs of Filiberto Ojeda Rios to Pedro Almodovar. There was a resemblance. Nobody could identify him positively. Agents decide against watching the Cuban woman. They suspect their visit has been reported to the Macheteros, who won't go near her again for months. Instead, agents decide to put intensive surveillance on Abelino Gonzalez, the radical whose fingerprint was found on the getaway car. Two months have passed since the rocket attack, and agents believe the terrorists may feel safe to begin meeting again. The surveillance teams take great pains to avoid being detected. The rule of thumb on that team was don't get burned. If we pick up an individual and um, we lose him in the first half hour, then we'll pick him up the next day. Two weeks into the surveillance, agents watch Gonzalez drive in circles around a parking lot, apparently trying to determine if he's being followed. They were trying to detect uh, surveillance. It was an exciting moment. Uh, we were observing excellent tradecraft on the part of these two macheteros. Finally, Gonzalez stops and picks up an older man. The decision was made to drop Avelino and concentrate on the person that he was meeting to try to identify him. Agents follow the older man to a second-story apartment an hour from San Juan. Investigators rent an apartment across the street and watch the man. They check the name on his apartment and car registration, but find out that it's false. And we were doing surveillances on him for a few days, and um, he was very, very watchful for surveillance activity. He would use different public phones, and he would use different one every time he'd make a call, even in the same evening. To identify the man, Agents come up with a creative plan to obtain his fingerprints. The next time, the older man makes a phone call and leaves. An FBI agent moves in and cuts off the handset. Even if the suspect notices the cut cord, agents don't believe it will tip him off. We have vandalism here all the time in Puerto Rico, and um, nobody's going to think anything of it. FBI technicians process the payphone receiver and are able to pull fingerprints from it. The FBI lab came back, said that the latent fingerprint that was discovered on that telephone was that of Filiberto Jero Rios. The FBI has found the alleged leader of the Macheteros. It was like Christmas come early. I mean, we were. We had confirmed everything that we suspected, uh, and that's when the, the case was designated a major case of the FBI. Agents could arrest Ojeda on an old warrant for jumping bail. Instead, they decide to continue watching him to try to identify other members of the Macheteros. The FBI wants to take down the entire group and bring peace to this troubled island. A Puerto Rican terror group known as the Macheteros 
wages an unpopular war for independence, attacking local police, the American military, and the FBI. Although they claim to be freeing the country from American oppression, less than 5% of the island's population supports their cause. After months of intense surveillance of suspected members of the Magiteros, agents have identified the leader of the organization, Filiberto Ojeda, who has been a fugitive for more than a decade. The FBI continues their efforts to identify more members of the group to bring them all to justice. A month after identifying the terror leader, the FBI gets an unexpected break. At an office building in San Juan, police respond to a burglary. An entire floor of the building had been broken into. In one of the offices, authorities found some suspicious documents that appeared to belong to a terrorist group. They called the FBI. FBI agents searched through the office's filing cabinets. FBI Special Agent Marlene Hunter can't believe what they find. Fairly quickly, it became clear that it was the central archives of the Machateros organization. Not only their archives for historical purposes, but also records regarding future actions that they were going to take. Another interesting find were minutes of meetings that went all the way back to the date they were formed in 1976. It was a gold mine. In a chilling moment, Agent Hunter discovers that the terrorists have compiled detailed information on individual FBI agents. There were files with FBI names and their family members, where their children went to school. The threatening discovery underscores the danger to agents and their families. It really made you realize that maybe you needed to not take the same route all the time. You needed to always assume that someone could be following you. Other documents describe the group's terrorist activities, but names for places and people are coded. The FBI takes the files as evidence and attempts to crack the codes. With the evidence collected so far, the FBI gets a judge's authorization to listen to payphones used by Filiberto Ojeda, the alleged leader of the Macheteros. As with their documents, the Macheteros also use code names when speaking on the telephone. FBI Special Agent Fernando Candelario. We heard a lot of conversations where the code name Aguila and Aguila Blanca were mentioned. But in the contents of the conversation, we couldn't really tell what Aguila or Aguila Blanca was. Aguila means eagle, and Aguila Blanca is white eagle. Agents suspect Aguila refers to a person, and Aguila Blanca is an operation that person conducted. Whenever Ojeda arranges to meet someone, agents follow in an effort to determine the new person's identity. If possible, agents retrieve objects the person has touched and send them to the lab to be fingerprinted. Agents use the fingerprint results, surveillances, and wiretaps to match terrorist code names to real names. Agent Hunter leads the effort. I always liked jigsaw puzzles when I was a kid, and this was like one big jigsaw puzzle. We had um, multiple layers of code names that we were able to piece together through careful coordination of the physical surveillance logs, 
with the electronic surveillance logs and independent investigation. The FBI identifies more members of the Macheteros one by one. Agents use the new information to get authorization to put a microphone inside Ojeda's apartment. When agents see Ojeda leave one night, they enter to plant the bug. They find the interior doors partly open. Agents recognize this is a clever counter-surveillance tactic. Their MO to protect themselves was to leave interior doors open at a certain gap and they would measure it and in case that door was moved by an agent inserting a microphone in that residence, they would know somebody had been in here. Agents carefully reset each door to avoid tipping off Ojeda. We didn't want him to move. We were afraid if he moved, that we'd never find him again. At the FBI office, Agent Hunter continues her efforts to decode a list of names and phone numbers from the Macheteros files. Agents believe the phone numbers have been encoded through a mathematical formula. If the FBI can crack that code, they will have phone numbers for all the Macheteros. Agents capture a real phone number electronically at the same time that they overhear Ojeda call the man by his code name. Agent Hunter uses the real phone number and the corresponding coded phone number to try to figure out the formula. I was able to play around with the sequence of the numbers, and it, it wasn't an easy code. It wasn't, you know, like sometimes they add two to everything or subtract one from everything. Her determination pays off. Agent Hunter makes a breakthrough and rushes to tell the team. I went over where they were and, you know, I said, you can't believe this, I just broke the telephone number code. Oh, they were thrilled, everybody was thrilled with that. That allowed us to decode all the telephone numbers and we could get the real number and we could say who the real person connected to that code name was. So we were able to sort of unmask and figure this group out. With the codes cracked and listening devices in place, the FBI overhears the Mojiteros arguing over money. FBI Special Agent Jose Rodriguez. Oh, Heather wanted to use the money to further the cause of the organization and to establish better relations with the Cubans in Cuba. They had sent, I think it was $2.2 million to the Cubans as a show of good faith. Agents are puzzled by the huge amounts of money that the Macheteros seem to have. But we got $6.8 million that the organization is quarreling over, and we wondered, where did they get this money? Agents totaled the losses of all the recent bank robberies and armored car heists in Puerto Rico, but they don't come close to $6.8 million. Agents send an urgent bulletin to all FBI offices, asking if anyone has any unsolved multi-million dollar robberies. An answer comes from Hartford, Connecticut. A year earlier, at an armored car depot, a guard gave co-workers a knockout drug and stole $7.2 million. Agents in San Juan note that the guard in the so-called Big Sleep Heist is Puerto Rican. They suspect that the Machetero operation, codenamed Aguila Blanca, is really the Big Sleep Heist. We decided to pull more tapes, previously transcribed conversations where Aguila and Aguila Blanca were mentioned. And now, with the context in mind that this could be the armored car robbery, it started to make sense. The Macheteros had committed this robbery. 
They hadn't claimed responsibility for it yet, though. It no longer was just an investigation of the law rocket attack on our building. It was a group that had gone to the United States to steal $7 million, which at the time was the second largest robbery in U.S. history. Prosecutors advised the FBI that they would prefer to try the Macheteros in Connecticut for the big sleep heist. They worried that a murder trial in Puerto Rico would fail because jurors would be too frightened. It was going to be difficult to get a jury that would be willing to convict, assuming the evidence was right, a member of the Macheteros. The Macheteros, you mentioned that name in Puerto Rico, and it instilled fear. The FBI decides to continue its surveillance until it gets enough evidence to convict the Macheteros of the big sleep heist. But before the FBI gets the additional evidence it needs, Ojeda suddenly disappears. Agents fear that Ojeda has somehow caught on to their surveillance. They will have to get their additional evidence elsewhere. The FBI decides to focus on another target, Ojeda's right-hand man, Juan Segarra. Juan Segarra Palmer was a very active member of the organization, what I would call a shaker and a mover. He was the one that made things happen. He was the brains of the organization. The FBI has a microphone inside Segarra's house, but it has gone dead. Agents watch Segarra and his family drive away and move in to repair the bug, leaving the front door unlocked. The agents fix the broken microphone and prepare to leave. Suddenly, Agent Candelario gets an urgent message. When I am wearing an earpiece with a radio unit and I hear the green station wagon is coming up to the residence, this is the aircraft is calling this out. An FBI plane has spotted the vehicle of a known member of the Macheteros. He pulls up to the house and notices the unlocked door. When we heard he was in front of the door coming in, we went to the bedrooms. Myself and another agent went into the closet. The closets had no doors. The agents know that the Macheteros are almost always armed. They hear footsteps coming closer. If the terrorist comes into the bedroom, the confrontation could turn deadly. Agents repair a hidden microphone in the home of a suspected member of the Macheteros, Juan Segarra. But just as they finish, a terrorist enters. FBI Special Agent Fernando Candelario and another agent hide in a closet, guns ready. It's obviously a member of the Macheteros, a dangerous terrorist organization coming into this safe house to protect it. We don't know if he's going to come around that corner with a weapon. I'm not going to tell you that we weren't scared. We could hear him speak. He would say, aquí no hay nadie. Is there anybody here? We, we didn't answer. And he'd go to the other door, aquí no hay nadie. The terrorist begins to enter the bedroom. We have no closet doors. We're in an open space. All this guy had to do was walk in and oh, look yeah. to his left, and he would have seen us. And we don't know what would have occurred at that point. If had he assaulted us, then you know there's, there's only one way to go there. We would have shot him. But then he leaves. While the terrorist is in front of the house, the agents escape out the back 
Later, agents listen worriedly as the visitor tells Juan Segata what happened. The terrorists begin searching the house. If they find the microphone, it could ruin years of hard work. FBI Special Agent Jose Rodriguez. What's going to happen to the investigation? Is it burned? Or are all of them going to flee, uh, go underground? But the terrorists fail to find the microphone. Once again, Puerto Rico's high crime rate helps cover the FBI's tracks. We did hear them conversing about uh, this incident. They don't know if it was FBI or not. Could have been a burglar. Agents watch Sagara go out at night to make phone calls, leaving his wife and child at home. Through their listening devices, they hear him make calls to his mistress in Boston about laundering money. She was definitely a player in the organization. She was hiding money for him, and she was also exchanging money that they suspected to be hot for clean bills up in Boston. Agents have just identified a major part of the money trail from the big sleep heist. They apply for authorization to put a listening device on the woman's phone. With new evidence from Segara, agents begin planning the end game, the takedown of the Macheteros. They want to arrest all the suspects at the same time. We didn't want someone to make a call to somebody else, say they hit me over here. So we didn't want one team to hit one place and go here and hit another place. We wanted simultaneous hits on these houses. During the arrests, agents also went searches of more than 30 locations all across the island. To make it all happen, the FBI will need nearly 300 agents. In preparation for the takedown, the FBI secretly flies hundreds of agents and their equipment to a Navy base in Puerto Rico. We brought down in helicopters, we brought down Suburbans, the HRT brought down all their gear. It was very massive movement of FBI personnel, uh, something I've not seen again in my career. But the FBI has to put the raids on hold when the number two Machitero suddenly goes to Mexico. Juan Segato Palmer was a very important individual in this case. A lot of the evidence that would point to his guilt would also uh, point to the guilt of others. We needed him at trial. Hundreds of agents wait for Segato to return to U.S. soil. From the wiretap on his mistress's phone, investigators know that Segato plans to return soon. A tense week passes. Finally, Segato leaves a message on her answering machine. He tells her, I'm in Dallas, and here's my phone number where I can be reached. The FBI uses a reverse directory and finds that the number belongs to a payphone at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. Dallas FBI agents find Segata by a payphone, waiting for his mistress to call back. They plan to arrest him at the same moment as the rest of the raid. In Puerto Rico, agents get into position to hit dozens of locations simultaneously. Here's where the adrenaline started pumping. This was a culmination of a lot of intense work on the parts of a lot of people. At the home of Machetero leader Filiberto Ojeda, FBI SWAT and members of the elite FBI hostage rescue team surround the building and order Ojeda to come out and surrender. They were calling him by name, telling him that we had an arrest warrant, asking him to come out, give himself up. Ojeda doesn't answer. SWAT finally decides to go in and get him.
a burst of automatic fire came down the stairwell. One of those rounds uh, ricocheted off the wall and struck the team leader in the, uh, in the eye. Agents pull the injured man to safety and call for a medevac helicopter. They know that soon they'll have to go back inside to confront a terrorist who won't go down without a fight and won't hesitate to kill. The FBI attempts to arrest the leader of a deadly terrorist group. But he opens fire, hitting an HRT member in the eye. After evacuating the wounded man, FBI agents continue to urge the terrorist leader to surrender. FBI Special Agent Jose Rodriguez. Finally, he started coming down the stairs. When he did, he had an Uzi slung over his right shoulder, and his left hand could not be seen. He had his left hand down to the side of his uh, pants. Terrorist leader Filiberto Ojeda continues slowly down the stairs. As he got down to the base of the stairs, he raised his left hand, and the HRT member saw that he had a, a semi-automatic handgun. The HRT member yelled for him to drop it. When he didn't, the HRT member fired two times, and he saw Ojeda buckle, and he thought that he had struck Ojeda in the chest. The shot actually hit Ojeda's handgun. Although unhurt, he gives up. In Dallas, Juan Segata is arrested without incident. FBI Special Agent Fernando Candelario escorts Ojeda to jail. I told him, I'm a Puerto Rican, and I have as much right to live here as you do. And he told me, yes, but you're the enemy. If I have to kill you, I will. Over the next three years, Ojeda's attorneys do everything possible to postpone his trial. The case was delayed and delayed and delayed, uh, primarily by the defense, because they filed motion after motion after motion. Well, Heather Rios was in jail for a total of 36 months, primarily based upon defense motions. After all the legal wrangling, his attorneys now claim he must be released on bond because his right to a speedy trial has been violated. The claim goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Supreme Court rules that Ojeda must be released to await trial. Over the FBI's protests, Ojeda goes free, wearing an electronic monitoring bracelet. We knew that wasn't going to hold him. Of course, he wasn't in our custody at that point. He's the responsibility of the pretrial services. While awaiting trial, Ojeda gives speeches to try to build support for the Macheteros. Now he can brag about uh, the macheteros. Now he's no longer covert, he's overt. While Ojeda's attorneys delay, four other macheteros, including Juan Segarra, are convicted in Hartford, Connecticut for their roles in the big sleep heist. A year after his release on bond, Ojeda makes a bold statement to the media and cuts off his electronic bracelet. He disappears into the rugged mountains to resume his fight to turn the island into a communist dictatorship. Two years later, a federal court in Connecticut convicts Ojeda in absentia of bank robbery and conspiracy. With his conviction, 
14 of the top macheteros have been found guilty. While Ojeda is at large, the FBI keeps up the pressure to find him. FBI Special Agent Fernando Candelario. I'm confident that he'll be arrested again because we did it once before. You know, and when we, um, like they say, we always get our man. And uh, I think that um, time is on our side. In September of 2005, the FBI locates Ojeda. He is shot and killed after firing on agents. The Macheteros' reign of terror has come to an end. And unless you're committed to go after him with as much commitment as they got, you're not going to get him. They were Macheteros 24 hours a day. The trials also help reveal the truth about the Macheteros. These people don't just want independence for Puerto Rico. These people want something much bigger than that. They want to convert Puerto Rico into the next Cuba. Today, through democratic elections, the people of Puerto Rico retain the right to decide whether to become a state, remain a commonwealth, or become independent. Thanks to the FBI, they remain free to determine their own fate.